Hello, and welcome to the No Good Poetry Podcast. Each week we talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly of poetry. This is episode 39 with Joseph Makos and Joseph Piavenu. This is the good, bad, and the ugly, isn't it? Some ugly shit out there, kids. Let's make the world safer for poetry. So I've been thinking a lot lately, been digging deep in the archive, and as the archive, as the NOLA DNA archive keeps coming in, a, in becoming in an order, I'm digging deeper into each individual paper. And one of the things that I keep thinking about is, namely, where is all the poetry? Seriously, because I'm curious as to how a southern newspaper in from the age of Elizabethan era into Edwardian era, on into the 20s, dealt with, you know, newspaper, or dealt with poetry. And I'm really curious about this because, you know, this is a consec- con- concurrently going on in Europe, right? Is like the avant-garde movement. Yeah, so today we're going to talk about bursting through poetry and newspapers, right? But I think, yeah, some of our listeners already know from previous episodes, but do you want to explain to everyone a little bit about your newspaper archive, what it is? Yeah, so briefly? there's an archive that was originally from the British uh, Museum in London, where they had housed, they had a, a warehouse where they had housed their entire world newspaper archive, including all newspapers on record of record for the UK, all newspapers of record for uh, the United States, and newspapers of record for countries all around Europe. And they had a very vast physical uh, collection of historic newspapers. And they had that, from what I've been told, it was like 1870s, 1880s. They kind of started in a bit, in a major way, like in the 1880s, all the way to, um, I believe, the they stopped collecting around 1959. So, okay. or 60. So, let's just put this in perspective. It's about... 80 years-ish, give or take 75 years, of world newspaper history that they had been collecting. So this archive specifically is 1888 to 1929 of uh, New Orleans newspapers. This is Times uh, Daily Picune into the Times-Democrat merger and then into the Times-Picune, um, having dropped the Daily and having dropped Democrat. I suppose the newspaper could have, I always joke, say the newspaper could have been called the Daily Democrat, but they chose the Times, <laughs> the Times Picayune, right? Or the Democrat Picayune. The Democrat, the Democrat <laughs> Picayune, that would be really weird. <laughs> or the Daily Times. But, yeah, that would be boring. <laughs> the, the Times Daily. The Times Picayune's not a bad name, though, that it ended up with. Well, Picayune, you know, it's like a, it's like a penny. You know, it's like the, the Daily Penny. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, there's, uh, it, more so if we want to talk about sort of like a literary criticism of newspapers, so to speak, right? Which is like, I guess it's a mis- misuse of that term, but a criticism of the literature that's found throughout newspapers of the era. There's, it's, it's, it's really special. It's actually a pretty special time for newspaper history. And it's, and it's, and I don't know, like, we had an episode earlier where we talked about the Americans in the late, we were trying to find American, any sort of like budding avant-garde American voice, from voices from pre nineteen hundred? Yeah, 
and we couldn't come up with too much. Too much, right? And we were trying to find, you know, all this uh, digging into the, the, the 19th century as a, as a century of kind of America isn't really quite known for an avant-garde during that time period. So, no, not really. So what kind of, I mean, I don't think everyone's familiar with looking at these newspapers from the Era. late 19th, early 20th century. What kind, what, where are the places you you would see poetry in these newspapers? Yeah. So from my, from, I guess from my reading and my uh, research, this is what I found. I found that poetry coming into the newspapers was mainly part of sort of a attempt by newspapers as early as the early early 19th century or, or even earlier, but yeah. uh, uh, to, to fill space. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, if you think about your newspaper trying to grow your newspaper, you know, you drop a little literature in, you know? I don't... Yeah. I don't necessarily think syndicated fiction was coming in quite yet, but I think you could drop a little poem in. And I think poetry was safe content for readers. And it was whimsical. And it was musical. And it was... It was interactive. Right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's something that might have that would have been cut out. It's something that would have went. It's something that by nineteen, by early to mid nineteenth century terms, would have gone viral, mm-hmm. right? Because that stuff people would have cut out. You would have gotten like scrapbooks of people. Would you have mean like they would have cut it out and saved it? In yes, some way. Yeah, I'm yeah. saying like they would have made a scrapbook of poems, or they would have. Or they would have cut it out and given it to somebody. Taped it on their their birthday card or something. Taped it on their birthday card. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know that it 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 sort of to me it demands interaction. I mean, newspapers. People think newspapers. Okay, it's like as you know, at today's under when we look back at newspapers, they're precious. You know, they have they have this because they're this bountiful media of content. Right. Like we look at like a magazine or a newspaper today, and we think about what kind of content. Our our modern our modern uh, paper is putting out, and we're and what we're talking about is we're talking about like crime reports and the weather and the local sports team and you know it's eighty to ninety percent the Times Picune let's I mean let's let's be honest the Times Picune today which is called NOLA.com, uh, it does have a newspaper. There is still a Times Picune newspaper, which the Sunday is the best uh, of all. Um, they would never put out a poem. I mean, there would be it would be no point, right? Think about the kind of type of content that is coming out of our newspaper today. No, and then but think I mean, about yeah. back in the eighteen thirties. Who was the guy that you ran into that from the eighteen forties? Who was? Calling for poetry in the newspaper? Oh yeah, well yeah. Let well we'll get to that in okay. a second. But yeah, so that's... so like so like you know, let's think about 18th century newspaper in general. And I have to say that readers should know that readers should know this. Aside from nationally syndicated magazines like Harper's Weekly or Frank Leslie or whatever your na- any of the nationally syndicated magazines of the day, okay, we're not even talking about. Uh, I'm sorry, let me go back. We're not talking about color magazines. We're talking about woodcuts like Harper's Weeklies or like beautifully printed yeah, yeah. papers on rag, okay? There's poetry in that. Yeah. There's some poetry in that. Yeah, absolutely. There's poetry yeah. in Harper's for sure, you know? Um, but you're looking at a pretty boring looking thing. 
about the size, the size of an illustration in a paper from that time is going to be relatively small and usually constrained to a single column besides the masthead, which took up two or three columns. But, and I consider that an illustration because it kind of is illustration with topography. But I'm saying you're looking at pretty bore, pretty boring layout graphically until the 1880s. 1880s, then it starts to get break single column and get into double, yeah, yeah, triple yeah. column. Yeah. So think about that as a media. So there's poems that are going to show up, I think, like where there's extra space that they need to fill because everything's being laid out. I mean, think about it technologically. What are you going to do, right? You need, you want to, you're trying to justify. Well, for thinking about you're trying to justify an article, you've got a weird end of a column on the end. You got it. What are you going to do? Think, think about it from a business perspective. Think about it from a business perspective. And then think about it from the perspective of, uh, think about it from the perspective of fill, having to fill space, and then thinking about it from the perspective of like of yeah, just like a space filler, and the idea that like every line that somebody was paying for in the paper counted. Yeah. yeah. So some of that poetry could have been paid for, and then as we're talking about the idea of visual poetics, if we want to look at language play and typography in a poet in a pre- presentation of poetry as a stanza or otherwise or some sort of form of poetry we could also say that there's visual poetry that comes into the papers early early benjamin franklin was putting visual poetry and and weird graphic layouts in papers in his time so yeah and i think some of the i was trying to read a little bit more about it because I know we've talked about it before, running across it in in your archive, but you know it's not really clear to me. It was never really clear to me how poetry got there, and we talked about that space filling kind of aspect of it before. And certainly, I was trying to do a little reading about it, and it certainly seemed like even at the time that was part of the accusations yeah. people had about why they thought the newspaper poetry wasn't that great was they. Did kind of some people uh, certainly some people thought of it as just kind of being a space filler. So I don't. So I found this really interesting dissertation by Elizabeth M. Lorang from the University of Nebraska. There really was not a lot of scholarship out there on poetry from newspapers. It's pretty limited, and actually, I found more about Victorian poetry in Europe than about U.S. Poetry in U.S. newspapers, very little. I did I did see quite a bit about Victorian poetry in in Europe for some reason. I mean that kind of makes sense, but in newspapers there. Uh, but this she has this dissertation called "American Poetry in the Daily Newspaper: From the Rise of the Penny Press to the New Journalism." And there's a lot of interesting stuff in here, uh, and it was some of the better information I could find on it. So, I mean, if I think of Poets who published in newspapers, I think of like Longfellow and like Whittier and those yes. kind of people. Whittier, there you go. There's a good example. Um, and yeah, and I mean, what she was saying in her dissertation was that a lot of people kind of, the reputation of those poets, they began to kind of be called newspaper poets and a lot of people meant it in a pretty derogatory way, right? Like this, meaning this is something that's in rhyme and it's, pretty light and there's not <laughs> yeah there's not that much to it uh willem cullen bryant too right and 
you know, so a lot of them would be, you know, th they would be published pretty widely, like, across the country, right? They'd be syndicated or in a newspaper or whatever, but but then you would also get your local poets, like, we're going to kind of run into in the in the Daily Picayune, in the Times-Picayune. Yeah. But I thought this was funny. So, and her kind of theory was the further you got into the 19th century, the more people started looking down at the poetry in the newspaper. But this, so this is a quote from, um... This is a quote from someone who was pretty critical of it. W William Gilmore Sims, who was a poet, novelist, and historian from the South somewhere. I'm not quite sure where he's from. Newspaper poetry has always been a subject for jest. The readers of newspapers find it out of place, and the merchant invariably begrudges to poetry the space which he thinks would be much better filled with prices. Huh. With prices. <laughs> um... But she kind, of, but she kind of also said that not everyone looked at it negatively because some people saw it as this kind of populist thing to have this poetry that could appeal to the everyday person, sure. um, which I think is probably true too. But I think maybe that's part of why there's not that much scholarship on it. It's never been that respected of a thing in some sort of way. But it's weird because it was so ubiquitous, right? It's all over the newspapers if you look at it, right? Like, you'll see it in, you know, advertisements. You'll see it in just nestled in any old section, basically. Just poems appearing in there. The weird thing about it, though, too, is, right, you can never quite tell where the poem's coming from. They don't really give, like, at best, there'll be a name at the bottom, but sometimes they're pseudonyms, right? We don't really know. And then, you, but you don't know—is this something being reprinted from somewhere else, or is this something that was specifically written and printed for the first time for the newspaper? Yeah, it's not always clear. It's not, which makes <laughs> it really interesting <laughs> to me. Yeah, because that's because because you know this this poem that we found the, from the, the a Christmas card to the little readers of the Picune from Aunt Letty. <laughs> was likely a one-time thing. Yeah. And yeah. we'll never know who Aunt Letty was <laughs> unless I read a hundred newspapers and discover well, that there's... Well, because it may somewhere else tell you, but it's not... Yeah, you can't just pick up that paper and figure out from looking at that poem who this is. Yeah. See, this is why... This is why a study of poetry from the newspaper actually becomes like it's... Could, could, could be a really fascinating thing. Yeah. Yeah. Because if you start to drop it into groups and you start to like categorize it and start to see it from a, a direction of taxonomy and you start to consider like the functionality of it. No, being, I'm being serious. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Really, this is like really consider the functionality of it in the on the page. And then you think like the only per the, I'm, like I'm trying to think of who like what mainstream place now will publish poetry. We're talking about this. I think I think poetry is still published in occasionally in um, the Atlantic. The Atlantic, yeah. I think who else comes out with poetry? Does the New York Times well, come out with poetry every once in a while? No, I don't think they do anymore. I mean, a lot of magazines do. There's not many newspapers. I actually do know what well, I'll get. We can get to that at the okay. end. But there is a couple of places trying to do something like that again. Um, Interesting, but it's mostly small towns, smaller towns. Uh, I bet. Um, which kind of makes sense. It does make sense. But yeah, there's also this mix of these... Well, oh, do you want to read us the poem from Aunt Letty, the Christmas poem? Sure. 
So we should say we'll post a picture. We'll post a picture. It looks like it's shaped like a Christmas tree. It's visual poetry. Yeah. It's 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 vispo. I know that sounds crazy, but it's it's it is. A Christmas card to the little readers of the Picayune. Oh, see a tree. It is life's evergreen tree, laden with gifts for you and for me. What are these gifts? Come, draw near. Let us see. The gift of clear sight to behold in the night, the frost fairies' diamonds, the great worlds of light, the rose of the dawn, the pearls of pure dew, and the goodness deep down in fellow hearts too. Will you take this gift from life's tree to you? Here's the gift of touch, the blessed power to sweep, the strings of cold hearts till they waken and weep, or the gladden the lonely, touch hands with a friend, soothe the hot forehead of trouble and toil, of sorrow and sickness and sin-sacred soil, the great gift of hearing, the song of the thrush, the murmur of waters, the wind's call and hush, laughter of children, the bow's magic bend, gift of taste to the melon, the grape and the wheat, the gold of the orange and the bee's golden sweet, the relish of meal, at the toilsome day's end. Gift of smell. For a thousand and thousand red roses rich music. And pale lilies a swoon in. The warm dewy dusk. The violet's birth. The lilac's delight. Breath of a babe. Scent of a bridal veil white. But here is the gift. Next divine of all. To give to his children the great and the small, the gift to give right, cheerfully give and forgive humanity. <laughs> I know it's a children's poem, but still, that's rough. <laughs> Aunt Letty. Aunt Letty. Aunt Letty's Christmas card to the readers of the Picayune in verse form. Yeah. I mean, the intention's pretty fucking weird. I mean... It's pretty, it's pretty, like, it's a bizarre poem. It's, like, there's actually some good parts to it. Well, it's bizarre in that you think it's going to be about Christmas gifts, and she just goes through all the senses for some reason. Yeah. The gift of touch and taste. <laughs> the gift of touch, the blessed power to sweep the strings of cold hearts till they waken and weep. Or to gladden the lonely, touch hands with a friend, soothe the hot forehead of trouble and toil, of sorrow and sickness and sin's sacred soil. Weird. <laughs> I kind of like that. Kind of weird. Kind of like that part. Uh, yeah, I mean. So yeah, so there's 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 a number of uh, visual. Yeah, there, there are what I had found that one that was a visual poem as an advertisement a little while back when we were looking through. I may have it somewhere. I'll find it and put it on the put it on the put it in the show notes. But I mean, that's another thing, right? You do see not visual poetry so often, but we did find that one example. But you do see poetry every now and then in advertisements in the newspaper. But I think also for the same reason you're talking about, right? You're 
illustrations were pretty few and far between in a newspaper, right? So your, choice between, were, your yeah. choices to make your ad stand out were, okay, do something typographically interesting, or maybe if you put it in a poem, it might be yeah, or, funny. Yeah, or I think, and I think that there's ads that do have poetry. There's a lot yeah, of ads. That, yeah. There's a lot of ads that have poetry, you know? That's like one of the enticing things of advertisement is this sort of like whimsical, whimsical, rim, rhythmic, sing-songy type stuff. Yeah. You know? And it's kind of funny and it's cute and that's something. But you also got a lot of more, there were also, we talked about, there are kind of these newspaper poets who were in newspapers all over the country, but you also had all these local poets in different areas who were writing these poems about events and about things that were specifically going on in the city where the newspaper was put out, right? Uh, that's what I'd like to find more examples of, although we've really only turned up a handful of those from your newspapers so far. But I think there are some out there. There are some out there. Well, we, we, we dug in. We dug in and we found a few more things, though. Uh, where is that? So that this one might be a local one, This the Royal Hotel one. You want to read the yeah, Royal Hotel? Yeah. That one. So this is by Mildred P. Halsey. Huh. I don't know. Is this local or not? That's the thing. That's all the information we get. There, we don't know. I think there, there was a royal hotel. There was. I, there probably was a royal hotel a lot of places. Yeah. So I don't know if it's this It's not the is, Royal Street Hotel. just says the Royal Hotel. It's not the Royal Street Inn. So I don't know if this is local or not. It's hard to tell. So it's not a poem about our bar. Just disclaimer. <laughs> The Royal Hotel. Within these walls where often met of yore the flower of southern chivalry and grace, all now is desolation and the floor re-echoes hollow to the stranger's pace. Climb the old stair, go down the corridor, and view the desert rooms, a haunted space. The plaster cracks, the paper hangs, all torn, and in the courtyard see a rubbish heap. Here is an office where the bells forlorn ring not, save when the night winds over them sweep. The ancient desk is bare, the lift downborne, beneath its twisted gear is rusting deep, a melancholy sight. Where could one find another image of a broken mind? That's the poem. That's the poem. That's a good poem. Well, that's better than a lot of these, right? I mean, at least Dude, it's kind of that- interesting. <laughs> An abandoned hotel. Uh-huh. That's that's so about New, that's, that's about New Orleans. You might. can't see it. It could be. It's hard for me to say for sure. It could be. But you, I can see it. Couldn't you see it? I, I mean, mean, it's like a rundown old hotel. It's a rundown old hotel, but I mean, I, it's certainly you know I could imagine it being about New Orleans, but it could be somewhere else. But this is the thing that remind that things <coughs> the reason I think is about New Orleans, the flower of Southern chivalry, right? Yeah, I mean that does make me think it's more likely it might actually be local, although it could be anywhere in the South, really. All now is desolation, right? Okay, but look, it says uh, a haunted space and in the courtyard. There's a lot of courtyards here. Yeah, but I mean, I think most hotels had courtyards. It could be. I hope it is. I hope that is one that's from here, but it's hard to say for, for sure. I like this one. I think this one's cool. I think I think that if we were going to edit an anthology of, um, I think that might make it in there. Yeah, yeah. I think you know if we were going to do an anthology of of, of uh, poems from the from the newspaper 1888, 1888, 
1929. <laughs> that would be neat, yeah. So the crazy thing is, in this dissertation that I was reading, a whole chapter of it is about a poet from the Daily Picayune. No way. Yeah. That's cool. But it's unfortunately pre-where your archive begins. Okay. So but it's early, is, right? Yeah, so this is 1840. Oh, cool. Well, I guess he started in 1839, but he went... He only worked from for the Daily Picayune from 39 to 41, so far as we could tell. I think we should put this in perspective for people. Is that the end? When was the... Uh the Spanish, when was the Spanish-American War? Or the French... Is it Mexican-American War? Oh. I'd be guessing. I don't know. You need to look that one up. Yeah, so this is... This is... Um, there's an armed conflict with the United, uh, United States and Mexico between 1846 and 1848. So this is right before the Mexican-American War. Which is significant. So, this was still like in a in a, in a uh, very cosmopolitan city, you know. And he came from where? Does it say? I don't know if I know where he came from. Okay, um, I don't know that. But he and his brother both worked. So this is his name was Joseph Field, and he and his brother Matthew Field both worked for the Daily Picayune for a while. Um, his brother, I think, was an assistant editor on the paper, um, and he wrote. But he wrote mostly prose and and articles for them. Although he has a couple poems in here too, we'll see. Uh, but he wrote about two hundred poems for the Daily Picayune through the course of his few years there. That's how many. That how much poetry they were publishing by them. Um, he was apparently an actor and a playwright as well as a poet. He, but he often used a pseudonym in the paper. Straws. Straws? Yeah, just, so apparently a lot of it, that's all it'll say under the poem is straws. Can we, can we put a chapel out by straws? <laughs> <laughs> we got to find these, uh, these early ones. But wait, wait what, what year? I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to look this shit. 39 to 41. Yeah. That's, that's it. Just two years. He wrote, he wrote. Is, have you, did you have some? Sometimes uh, I have some quotes from it. I, I don't have any full poems, but sometimes he. Sometimes they would use his real name, Joseph Field, but sometimes it would say Straws. Like one of the ones she talks about, where he used his own name. Apparently, uh, apparently Andrew Jackson came and visited New Orleans at some point during that time. Okay. And I think he and his brother also had something to do with the St. Charles Theater in some way. I don't... It was not really clear what their role was there, but they both were involved somehow in the St. Charles Theater. So Jackson was attending the... attending some show at the St. Charles Theater, and he knew he was going to be attending the show... So after the show was done, they had arranged it. He came out and read this poem that he wrote for General Jackson. What? And read it on the stage after the play was over because they knew he was in the audience. And then the Daily Picayune wrote a story about it the next day and then later published the poem. Really? Yeah. 
So you get that kind of stuff too, right? It'll be like about this came something from the that, thesis. Yeah. This came from this, this, came from this dissertation. Yeah. Cool. Because this was in the chapter that she was writing about. But that one was in his name. But a lot of them were 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 under the name Straws. But just kind of an example. But a lot of them would be, you know, kind of related to something that was going on in the city at the time. Like one of the Straws ones was odd thoughts about life, the Lexington, etc. Because at the time there was a steamship Lexington that had sunk uh, in Long Island Sound, but I think the I think the steamship had some connection to New Orleans, or maybe it was made here or something. I don't know what it was. So he wrote a poem about that. Mm. Having to deal with that, right? Or there was this um, actress, Madame Lecompte, was visiting New Orleans, so he wrote a poem to Madame Lecompte, and that appeared in the newspaper, right? So it's kind of things that people would... It would be something that people would be talking about anyway. He would write kind of topical little poems in there. Yep. So it would be kind of interesting to chase those down. Uh, you know, another thing that I don't, you know, I don't think we got into too much, but, you know, I do think there was a lot of poetry dealing with the ideas of, you know, what is happening uh, with what people are thinking about abolition and slavery and those things, too, as well. And newspapers kind of took sides in that way with that. I think he kind of was on the wrong side of that. Although I don't think he wrote too directly about it, but... But yeah, so he wrote all these poems for it. Apparently, he was pretty popular as straws to the point that there were poets for other newspapers around the country that were imitating his style and calling, calling... There was one, like, I think it was for, like, maybe the New York Herald or something. Like, there was someone who started writing as under the pseudonym Straws Jr. and, like, kind of imitating his style. No way. Yeah. That's pretty interesting. And then they, like, manufactured this whole thing. His, his brother started writing in with pseudonyms, like... This all happened over the course of the letters, years. Complaining about things in his poems. So then they could, like, create controversy and people would, would read... Shut the Yeah, fuck yeah. Up. Really? <laughs> we had to find these. It's pretty interesting. But, apparently, poetry was so popular in the Daily Picking Unit at this point... So they were getting way too many submissions of poetry. They didn't know what to do with it all, and they were getting annoyed. Oh my god, we need to talk about this. <laughs> this is really what the, the, the episode should be about, people. When poetry is so popular that the newspaper just gets flooded with submissions. Yeah, and that's what was happening in the, in the 1840s. It was like, yeah, they were just like, this is too much. Stop sending us poems. Really, they have like, like in. <laughs> yeah. So this is this is from the Daily Picayune, January fourth, eighteen forty. It was from the editors of the Daily Picayune. They printed this in the paper. <laughs> oh, correspondence, poetry, poetry, poetry. Oh, all ye poets and poetesses, muses and goddesses, for the love of charity, have mercy on us and send us no more poetry. Don't waste your sweetness on us. If you only knew what uninspired, plain, everyday sort of folks are we at the Picayune, you would never condescend to indulge us. You would as soon think of submitting your warblings to a learned pig, a fat ox, or a giraffe. 
Go to some of the other newspaper shops, all of you who may be now meditating mischief against us, and all you who have heretofore complimented us with your lugubrations. Esteem it no offense that they have not appeared, for the fact is we are so dull that we can't for the soul of us comprehend poetry or understand what there can be, either sublime or admirable, in maltreating common sense for the purpose of making terminations jingle. We wish our poetical correspondents in general, and Undine in particular, to read this, our solemn protest against poetry, and we would advise none of them in particular, but all of them in general, to abandon the nine muses and study the nine parts of speech. The most admirably intricate and the most mysteriously profound efforts of the most moon-inspired poetical prodigies of the present day are passed unread. Our street circulation is always minus of a morning when an article of poetry appears, and our carrier boys have made a pathetic appeal to us against verses of all kinds. One clever little fellow, who generally sells 50 numbers before breakfast, always examines the paper carefully before he starts, and if he discovers capital letters commencing all the lines of an article, he knows it to be poetry, and will only take half his usual number. Holy <laughs> shit. Yeah, they're getting too much poetry. But I also think there was maybe a little bit of a backlash against the poetry to some extent. What's the date? That was 1840. January 4th, 1840. Yeah, we're going to have to see if we can find some of these earlier daily Picayune issues. Do they stop publishing poetry that day? No, I think what it was, right, was that they were just getting all these submissions of people. It was like, people. enough, enough, enough. Well, and I think really most of the poetry they published was was people in staff or stuff that was syndicated from other places, right? That they were either reprinting things okay. that were already published or, like, this guy, Field, I think, worked for them. Yeah, so and he would write them. So they didn't need submissions from the general public of poetry. And that was yeah. just a mess, right? Yeah. Yeah, the fast forward to 1870, right? Then Eliza J. Nichols. Yeah, so yeah, let's talk about Eliza J. Yeah. Well, you know, so this is interesting because this is when, this is when, you know, this is the time shortly after this is when Eliza Jane would have started having her work published in in the newspaper, you know? So, but she published in a lot of newspapers, right? Not just in New Orleans. She did, yeah, she did. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, I uh, I had gotten lost here in a minute in a thing, but uh, I'm looking at her book, which is lyrics, which is her only book that she ever published in 1873. So she became, so she, uh, uh, th- I mean, she was writing when she was sh- like a teenager, right? Was right. When she was submitting but this a lot is like, of this stuff. This is like her first published book, her first and only published book. Okay, that's her first published book, and she became literary editor. Correct. Of the Daily Picayune in 1870. Yeah. So this would be a little after that she published exactly, the book, yeah. right? Three so this is probably years. things she wrote over the years, right. I would guess. Now let's read a couple poems. I mean, the one that I really want to read, I think, I mean, you know, there's, let's, let's be honest. Eliza J. Nicholson was not a uh, avant-garde poet. Right? No. <laughs> uh, but I'm going to read this one called The Surrender. The Surrender. The King Day and his court have grown wary. The gates of his castle are barred. 
and Sunset the Warden is keeping a careless and drowsy guard. The purple and golden banners that floated in gorgeous array from the tops of the western tower are furled and fading away. And over the silvery turrets and over the roseate walls and the ancient golden drawbridge, the shadow of twilight falls. As it grows deeper, the warden abandons the western height, and the beautiful castle of daylight surrenders itself to night. No footstep is heard on the terrace or stair and the banqueting hall where the king held his riotous wassail is silenter now than all. The tongue, the tongue of contention is palsied. The anvil of labor is dumb. And the clamor has grown too feeble to rattle his noisy drum. Below from the spacious courtyard there comes neither stir nor tone. The king in his royal chamber has fallen asleep on his throne. His light golden crown of sunbeams has melted away from his head, and his brow bound heavily downward seems crowned with a crown of lead. His scepter of light has faded and slipped from his open hand. Vainly in dreams he mutters some idle and vague command. For his minister's thought and action, from morning till evertide, his busy and loyal subjects sleep heavily by his side. And his gray-bearded secretary, that very old servant Lord Care, with the wrinkles and stooping shoulders, nods peacefully in his chair. The whole of the court is sleeping, even the favorite fool. Poor Folly snores loud and soundly, his head on the king's footstool. No sound but of heavy breathing is heard through the stately room. From basement to tower and castle is wrapping in a slumberous gloom. And the eyes of my muse grow drowsy, and the lips of my muse grow mute, and the heart of my muse is dreaming. Over her slumbering loot. Okay. <laughs> I mean, you know, the hard part of all this newspaper poetry, right, is none of it's that good. But I will say some of the better people, like like Eliza Jane Nicholson here, like like Pearl Rivers here. The one thing I can say about it compared to the to a lot of the other newspaper poetry you read is the language is a little simpler, a little more. Kind of how people actually speak. She's from the country. You know, yeah, she's a rich country girl. Which is which is good, and it's not trying so hard with the rhyming and everything, where some of it can be intolerable. Sure. With the <laughs> she finds an internal rhyme. Yeah. No, I mean, there's definitely a clear rhythm, and there's some rhyme here and there, but it's not this forced. Some of it is. Some <laughs> of it's a little jammy. So it's a little jammed up. Yeah. Some's a little forced. I have to say. I mean, I'm not going to just like praise her for being some sort of thing that she's not. But well, I, no, but I'm, I I did preface that saying it's not the greatest poetry still, but comparatively to a lot of those things that you're going to see in the newspaper. Yeah. Yeah, well, uh, that's kind of shortish. Yeah, there's a, that one's pretty short. Here, I'll read that. One, I'll read that. One. Heart of stone. Your heart has looked at a gorgon's head 
and turned to bloodless stone. Better for me had I been dead before this truth were known. Heart of stone, hard heart of stone. You found a heart of flesh and blood, tender and warm and true, a pure young heart just in the bud that sought to bloom for you. To pierce this heart, you shaped a dart, ere you let the arrow fly, you dipped the barb with cunning art in the poison of a lie. The lie was this, I love you, dear, the sweetest, bitterest lie that a man may speak and a woman hear under God's truthful sky. It rankles deep and it rankles long, this arrow that you sped. The poison taints my sweetest song and the wound gapes sore and red. But no cry is heard, no tear is shed, no sign of weakness shown. My hand would strike my proud heart dead if it should dare to moan. Heart of stone, hard heart of stone. That one was pretty rhymy. Yeah. But the language I still think is simpler than you get a lot of times in this, which is a slight plus. But yeah, it's not amazing poetry. So, you know... That's maybe one of the hardest things to understand when you're going through these newspaper poems is uh, even the best ones are not that great as poems. This is like, you could make a prog rock song out of it. You could make a weird song out of this. <laughs> it, you could turn this into a song. Yeah, that, you know it, what I'm it is more like song lyrics. Because if you were like Hardestone, he could be like, you know... Um, never break, never break, never break, never break. That's what I'm saying. Like, <laughs> what I'm saying. You could do like, well, you could do it. You could go like, you know, you know, you know, like it could be like, you know, your heart has looked at the Gorgon's head and turned the bloodlines of the stone. Better for me that I've been dead. Better this truth that won't know. The heart of stone, yeah, yeah. It is. The heart of stone. Like <laughs> yeah, yeah, heart, heart of stone. Yeah, <laughs> like, like. So why do you think, I mean, but why is this? Like, okay. I mean, I, what is the appeal of these poems in the newspaper, do you think? Uh, you know, I think, I think it was like a pause for people, you know? I really do. I really think I really think that it was a pause for people. I think it was a way to syndicate, you know, uh, or a certain writer, or a certain flavor, a certain taste that complemented the content on the page. I mean, we're talking like the price of the ferry to Gretna. We're talking like listings upon listings upon pages of like prices of cotton and wheat out in the fields yeah, and shit. And true. like like all this like business news and this like super dense like really intense like long-winded shit about like how they want to build a, a monument down at the Shalmet battlefield or whatever you know or like or like this like local 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 shit or like stuff that's going on down in the corner or like the bicycle news or the tennis news or like the football two-lane football news or whatever sort of, like, collection method, because the paper was kind of like a collection of data, you know? Yeah. So yeah. it's like, I guess if you think about it, and, you, and new, the one thing about New Orleans newspapers that I've, in, that, in this era that I think is important to note is that there's a lot of diversity going on in this newspaper. A lot, yeah, more, a lot more diversity than, a lot more diversity in this newspaper than you're, than you're seeing in a lot of other newspapers of the time. And I know people... You know, they talk about, like, oh, Pulitzer and Hearst as being, like, the cutting edge and all that stuff. But the thing was, content, this newspaper was really driven by content. So I think the poetry 
was part of the formula of content for a liberal a liberal arts newspaper like this, like a a proto liberal arts newspaper, like in an academic sense. You know, I'm not saying it's like this like 2017 liberal newspaper. No, like definitely not. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying looking at it from the perspective of like, wow, okay. We have all we have a newspaper that's equally representing all the arts and the latest fashions and French fashions yeah. and world fashions and things about London and things about the countryside. Yeah, like, certainly like what people thought of a newspaper as is very different. Yeah. Than, you've got than, Catherine yeah. Cole taking her carriage into the countryside writing about like little trips and things like the first road trips and stuff like she was doing the the really early stuff and it's like taking these trips into the country or to Bay St. Louis or whatever, like driving around the Gulf region. So I think, and you have like arts and you have culture and you have this like, you know, again, you have an edited version of arts and culture at the time, but you have like a really intense, you know, mix of stuff going on in this newspaper from a lot, from when she becomes literary editor and then her master plan when Colonel Holbrook dies in 1876 and then she gets the newspaper and she runs it for two decades until she dies in 1896 during the yellow fever outbreak, you know. What were you saying that Nancy was telling you about research and poetry? Well, I think Nancy Dixon said, Dr. Dixon said some pretty, really uh, appropriate things, honestly, about this time period in which, you know, newspaper poetry, or she was talking about Eliza Jane and being and saying like, oh, you know, Eliza Jane, Eliza Jane isn't a good poet. And I agree, okay, I agree as far as like today's con- as goes, but... I'm determined because I'm so determined to find good poetry in the in the newspaper from that 42 year span that I think like it needs requires a, a little bit of a closer look because I think that you know but but I remember but I remember you know sort of Nancy saying like I don't know you know I don't know how much good uh, poetry can be in the newspaper I mean I think it's a I think that's a fair assessment a fair yeah. thing to say because of censorship or because of the straight sort of like yeah, but it seems like it's not just censorship. Editorial. It's, editorial. Yeah, well, I mean, there certainly is constraints in that regard, but it also just seems like they want something that's very easy to understand on some level, right? Like, that's kind of the, the point. It's something that someone can just... Palpable. You know, like we said before, something that, like, something that you would take scissors to and clip out and put it into a card and give yeah. it to somebody... But we were talking about, I don't know if we talked about this yet, but it, maybe it was the pre-show conversation, but it was about like how poetry, in a certain sense, had the potential to be the first viral media. Yeah, you did. Same, that, with, yeah, same yeah. with small art. Think about it. Because of its digestibility. or Well, you could clip out a little piece yeah. of art. Yeah. And a poem, you know? Imagine, imagine putting a little, imagine getting a little poem and a piece of art and a nice letter from somebody. That's nice, right? Yeah. And people cut newspapers up all the time. No, are are used to. I don't know anymore. But yeah, I mean, certainly, like, if I think about... I mean, you wouldn't see people cutting out poems, but you would certainly see, you know, people would have articles cut out or cartoons cut out or they a cut photo poems. cut out. Yeah. I, I mean, no, but I'm thinking, you know, even as when we were kids, right? You'd think yeah. of, you know... Well, oh, wouldn't every professor that you... That ever boy gave me a poem... That boy gave me a poem from from Pearl Rivers. But wouldn't every professor like, you ever had? If I was a girl, and I got a poem from Pearl Rivers from some boy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But that that in but the that's 1870s. What I'm saying. 
longer ago, but even in the more recent past, didn't every professor you ever had on their office door had cut out all kinds of stuff from newspapers that related to whatever they were studying? Sure. You know? Yeah. Uh, Or cartoons or whatever related to things. Political cartoons. Yeah. I mean, it definitely has that kind of thing. Yeah. But there's, I think there is with the poetry this real, like, populist aspect of it that they're trying to appeal to middle America in some way or, like, to the average kind of person. Middle the average reader. Middle New Orleans. I don't know if it is just middle New Orleans because I think. I don't think. I mean, that's the weird thing about. The, the the Daily Picayune and Times Picayune looking through it, to me, is the local content is there, certainly, but there's less of it than you would think, right? I think in a lot of ways, every newspaper is trying to be a newspaper for America, not just for their own little local place, right? Totally. It's part of that, right? But... I said we would get to what's going on with poetry and newspapers today, and one of the projects that I have found kind of a kind of is kind of almost doing the same thing. So, do you remember Ted Kuzer? Ted Kuzer, that name sounds so familiar. He was one of the many shitty poets who was poet laureate in the recent past. He was poet laureate from 2004 to 2006. Okay. Well, you know, they have to come up with projects while they're poet laureates, right? Yeah. So I didn't know this until I stumbled across it, but his project, one of his projects, had to do with newspapers. He, in conjunction with the Poetry Foundation and the Library of Congress, they came up with this initiative called American Life and Poetry. And it's a free weekly column for newspapers of poems by contemporary American poets with an introduction by Ted Kuzer that newspapers can just syndicate and make a regular section in their newspaper. That's what they were trying to do, is to get newspapers to pick this up and have a poetry section again. Cool. Which is not a bad idea. Well, it sucks when it's done by Ted Kuzer. Yeah, well, so I was like, okay. I was like, that's an interesting (laughs) idea, right? And I was like, so this happened when he was poet laureate so this is a little while ago i was like let's did any newspapers actually use this so it turns out that well we found a couple the only ones i could find were the spokesman review in spokane washington okay and the omaha world herald (laughs) those were the only two newspapers that appeared to have picked up this column But the poetry, even though this is now in modern day, is not that different from the kind of stuff that was in newspapers in the past. It also has this kind of populist appeal and is not very good. So this is one... So Omaha World Herald is still doing this. This is from October 8th, 2017. They're still running this column. Ted Kuzier's column? Yeah, this poetry column, right? So I thought we'd just read one as an example of of this. So this is a, so this is Ted Kuzer's introduction. Here's a beautiful poem evoking a vivid memory by David Mason, who teaches at Colorado College and has served his state as poet laureate. There's not one extra word in this. 
In every word, with that word singular music, is set in the perfect position. The poem is from his forthcoming book, The Sound, New and Selected Poems. Mending Time The fence was down, out among humid smells and shrill cicadas we walked, the lichened trunks moon blue, our faces blue and our hands, led by their bellwether bellies, the sheep had toddled astray. The neighbor farmers' woods or coyotes might have got them, or the far road. I remember the night, the moon-colored grass, we waded through to look for them. The oaks, tangled and dark, like starting a story midway, we gazed over seed heads to the barn, toppled in the homestead orchard. Then we saw the weather of white wool, a cloud in the blue, moving without sound, as if charmed by the moon, beholding them out of bounds. Time has not tightened the wire or righted the barn. The unpruned orchard rots in its meadow, and the story unravels, the sunlight creeping back like a song with nobody left to hear it. Not great. And he's kind of folksy. He wrote that? No, this is that's one of the people he featured. This was David Mason. Okay. Who I know a kid named David Mason. Didn't David Mason wasn't David Mason a famous band a guy in a band too? I don't know. Dave Mason. Who chose the original title for his new and selected poems, The Sound. But <laughs> So that's but you know, it's interesting. So that, that there this is kind of this conscious attempt to bring poetry back into to a newspaper, which is not a bad idea. Um, there are also two newspapers I saw who publish local, original, non-syndicated poetry. The Iowa City Press Citizen. Wow. That kind of makes sense, Iowa City, right? Sure. Writing town. And Salem, in Salem, Oregon, the Statesman Journal. But it's all kind of smaller towns. I don't know if you can get away with that in a big city, right, is the thing. Like now, if you're going to do that, it has to be in a in a smaller smaller kind of newspaper. Strangely enough, before we even said we were going to do this episode, though, there was one other thing I ran into last week, I think, that kind of relates to. Have you seen the site Poets and Poets Reading the News yet? Poets reading the news. Yeah. Never even heard of it. So. Tell us about it. It's this site, and all it is is poets. It's a newspaper of poems. It's all poems. It has sections. And it's all poems about things in the news. It's all topical poems. Really? And it looks like a newspaper. Pull it up so you can look at it while, while I'm talking about this. It's interesting. It's it's an interesting idea. This is this is from their about us section. We it's are called in what? Poets reading the news. Journalism in verse. And this is from their about us section. We are a digital newspaper bridging poetry and journalism. We call it journalism in verse. We founded Poets Reading the News because we noticed that poetry about current events was going viral, but there wasn't a clear home for that work. We are at heart a newspaper. The revelation being that our copy is pure verse produced by a diverse staff of poet journalists from around the world, copy edited according to AP style guidelines. And basically, that's what it is. So you get a lot of poems about big news stories, 
like or news stories conveyed in poem format. But they have section. There's like an obituary section where people have poems about people who died recently. Wow. There's like a technology section where it's like poems about things going on in science and technology. Wow. It's it's interesting. You know, I don't know. I can't say that it's all great poetry, but it's an interesting idea. And it's, again, this idea of, like, bringing poetry into a newspaper again. Did you pull it? No, it's not. It's about something different. Well, it is a little bit different. Yeah, I'm, I'm like, looking at that. Although, I think some of the new poetry in the past was that, even though we haven't found that, was topical poems like this. So most of them that I'm not going to bother you with are boring. Like, it'll be stuff about President Trump or something. Yeah, I want to read one about something okay, like that. Okay, but this one... <laughs> You can find one of those, but I kind of like the ones that are about weird things like this. So this one is, this is something that happened in Florida. You know how you've got that kind of meme about Florida, Florida man or Florida woman always doing crazy stuff? Yeah. This is man beats up ATM for giving him too much cash. Yeah, I saw that. (laughs) So they wrote a poem about this news story. This is by Martin Ott who's apparently the author of seven books of poetry and fiction, including Underdays, Sandine Prizewinder. Yeah, I see it. I don't know. This was a matter of principle and principle. Our hero laboring with fists in unfair fight, there was no scenario where he would beat this machine. It would calculate and enervate his wealth. It would replace all his brethren and commodify his health. Because it could not make mistakes, any fault would be his. The zeros in his account were not binary. His family calculated that he was a ghost in some future tale with a lucky Scrooge. He imagined waving his dead presidents like a matador against a drone armada that swarmed in his interrupted dreams. The deliveries dropped, the trucks rolled, the emptiness inside was hell to avoid, the pundits had told him he would earn breaks and his tale would roll on news. Feeds above the flu, below nuke payloads, the power of being a symbol, a flash, the world over. No, the drama of raining cash and raining over a world fueled to ash. Still, this story resonated with me. Even though there would be no victory, the year would end in impossible odds with credit earned and dues to be paid. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of terrible, but in a kind of wonderful way. Yes, yes. It is kind of terrible in a wonderful way. <laughs> find a find. Well, I it kind of had me there for a minute. <laughs> I think you should read one from like a more normal news story. Uh, okay, this, there's some weird stuff on this site, man. I just first, uh, it is pretty there's weird. A, there's a poem called <laughs> "As a Young Viking." <laughs> <laughs> All right, no, I, I, I can't read that one. Like, almost. But I was thinking maybe you'd find a more news one. Like maybe go to like how about thirteen the, ways of looking at rope. <laughs> well, that does look interesting, but I was thinking maybe you found like a world or U.S. or politics one or something. Maybe like a more normal news story. How to say complicit in multiple languages. <laughs> Nuclear love. I mean, and we should say, we'll put the link on the, the site. They've made the website look kind of like a newspaper. Really? Yeah. Maybe it doesn't look like that on the mobile version, but on the on the web version, it certainly is designed to look like a newspaper. Yeah, I'm looking. I'm 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 going through. 
Trying to see if, uh, trying to pick one. Politics. The profit and the tax bill. That could be good. That could be interesting. Okay. The profit and the tax bill. The Bible, I know, is a hymn book of coins scattered on the ground with anger. Buried talents that sit uselessly in place. Not because the market can't reach them. The metaphor fails in the kind of darkness it demands a new language of investment. When the senators invoke God, I picture St. Paul in jail, his money seized, only a stylus for a letter and a head not yet cut off. Ete ales redite ergo quae cesaris, sunt cesari et quae dei sunt deo, claims the humid gospel. I don't know how to dream that money fall, falls from heaven. It, its weight holds it down to earth where it will not, even on the eyes of the dead. Their certainty is God of mirrors, each bit of money a Greek letter to rewrite the gospel. I am the Alpha, the gentleman from Texas says, a sunset omega from some other day, still unforeseen. He tires of all this debate, wants the deed alone. Stay awake. The next one warns them, stay awake and then be prepared. And do not know when the master is coming. Not a coin purse, but a lamp. Not a law, but a rebellion. The new slow time of retribution, the world made whole again. When what will be stolen will be returned. I hear the prophet say, you are, you are on earth, you shall explode. Only to add under his breath, but do the coins melt last? All right, <laughs> I mean, it's kind of interesting. But yeah, this, I mean, a little more oblique, obliquely talking about the tax bill. But I mean, it's an interesting idea. And then it gives a link to the CNN article about it. Related. Oh yeah, yeah. I don't know. I thought it was interesting, and I thought it kind of connected to our topic in some. Maybe not entirely direct way, but uh, because I mean I don't know I don't think po if poetry is going to reappear in our newspapers it's not going to be in the same way that it did in the past right uh, it's going to be different but maybe it is going to be something more topical like that yeah I think that's a cool idea yeah you know I'd like to see I'd like to also see um I, if they're going to do it that way. I'd like to also see like and 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 their and if their tweets, I, I I really wonder what their purpose of their tweets, um, their Twitter account is, and see if they actually use Twitter as like a haiku, the idea of Twitter as like a constraint. Well, yeah. Now you have so many characters; it's not like that anymore. On Twitter, you can put a lot more now than you used to be able to. Really? Yeah, you didn't notice that yet. Really? Yeah, they upped the they upped the character limit. No. Yeah. When did that happen? Last November, I guess. So it hasn't been that long, but it's been wait, just, just November? November? Yeah. Just, just this? I think so. Just November two thousand seventeen. Yeah. Cool. Okay. So it wasn't that long ago. So I'm not like yeah. I'm not like missing out. <laughs> now you can go write really long tweets. Well, no, I could just I could just sit there. 
I could get on Twitter all night and just post new NOLA DNA stuff that I found. I have I literally have hundreds of pictures of things I've never talked about that are funny. So, I don't know. We'll get something. This is an episode. So, look out. We might have another episode on I feel like there's going to be another episode on newspaper poetry. I feel like there's going to be two or three episodes on newspaper poetry. But I guess that's it for today. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, we haven't done it for a while. Let's give one more plug. We could really use some more iTunes reviews. Oh, yeah, sure. If you're listening to this, you get this far in the episode. And, <laughs> and you weren't bored by newspaper poetry at this point. Yeah. I mean, I know. You're, or you didn't. You were listening to this to fall asleep, and you have that bad of insomnia. You have not <laughs> fallen asleep yet at this point in the episode. Oh man, how many have we have we even? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but no. I mean, uh, we would like to get this out there a little more. We always would. We Just always would, it. you know. So give us an iTunes. A little, review. little Christmas present, would you? Like. <laughs> Give us a little now couple just, little. Now you're just begging. <laughs> Give us a couple <laughs> little Christmas kiss, would you? <laughs> this has been another episode of No Good Poetry.
Thank you. 